0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to this very special episode of Carnival Personnel Sideshow, paying tribute to the late, sadly, great, undisputedly, Carl Reiner. Jacques and I am, I'm Joe. <laughs> I'm Jacques, sorry. Doesn't matter who we are. It's, it's just two nerds talking about Carl Reiner, who passed away last week at the age of 98, and his... Body of work is so overwhelmingly endless because he truly, up until the day he passed away, was working.
1: Yep, he was very prolific. He was working on books, but uh, we'll get to his recent authorship, I guess, a little later. Where do you, where do you start with a guy like Carl Reiner? I mean, the, he the guy he was a, a writer on your show of shows, and he moved on to uh, sitcoms and then directing. And um, he had, you know, a routine with Mel Brooks', longtime friend. You know, there's so much to go over. And uh, I don't even know where to start, so I'm going to turn to my friend Jacques.
0: I'll start where I first was introduced to Carl Reiner. My biological dad collected comedy albums. You know, It was one of the few positive traits that the guy had. And when he left, episode four, Daddy Issues. Um, He literally left behind his country classic albums and all these comedy albums. And he had at least two, maybe three, 2,000-year-old man albums in there. And that was my first introduction to both Carl Reiner and the great Mel Brooks.
1: My friend Peter, our friend Peter, once uh, for one Christmas gifted me The 1994 CD re-release of the complete Two Thousand Year Old Man, and I've yet to listen to it. (laughs) I didn't get it in '94, so I, you know, the credit to me, I guess. But there's four CDs of different iterations of the Thousand Year Old Man. It has a little nice, uh, like twenty-page insert that you can read through with notes, liner notes, and I've yet to kind of crack it open. It's uh, the cellophane's off, so hats off to me in that department. But uh, what I did listen to was the seventy nineteen seventy six or nineteen seventy nine cartoon version, the half hour cartoon version of Thousand Year Old Man, and um, you know it, it it plays the hits, I guess. You know it can do without some of the uh, sound effects they've added for the cartoon, but you know just classic material. Classic material. What 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 bit stands out the most to you from two thousand year old man?
0: Well, the funny the, the fun thing about those guys as much as they borderlined on slapstick you know were both physical comedies you also had to be smart you know what I mean it's like you had to know the Bible like 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 all the biblical references you had to know both the Old Testament <laughs> you know or as we like to call it the jewy part and then you had to know like the New Testament but no I mean it, like everything about it and how they honestly would would Bridge the gap between a guy who was palling around with Christ to the ins and outs of, like, you know, getting on the bus in 1961 like, to go, you know. I'd never run for a bus.
1: <laughs> 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 always so a storm. Always... <laughs> I think the 2,000-year-old man is more about the ability for Mel Bro- of Mel Brooks to just improv right off the old bean. Um, Right. But but you can't have that unless you
0: got the straight guy of straight guys who doesn't break. And just sets it up and sets it up and doesn't react and doesn't overreact. And, you know, they were a comedy duo. They would go on every show, the Steve Allen show and stuff like that. And it was always Carl Reiner. He helps make Caesar great by being the straight guy of straight guys.
1: By the way, I didn't really know about your show of shows until you back in the 90s when we first met. You um, knew that I had a penchant for comedy and thought I would appreciate it, and you gave me tapes of your show of shows to watch, which I did watch a few episodes of, but I had no idea what your show of shows was, and it was basically Saturday Night Live from the 50s. And it starred Sid Caesar. It was the main guy. He was this guy who could—very tall, bombastic guy, but he could do a lot of dialects and play wild and crazy stuff. But really, it was written by Mel Brooks, Carl Reiner, Woody Allen. The, the list goes on, as you say. No, no Norman Lear. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, honestly, Neil Simon, right? Neil Simon and
0: Neil Simon's brother Danny Simon, who Woody Allen said taught me to write comedy, and and all of them say that he was the guy. Who who like lit up a room, was the funniest guy. But yeah, you you look at that. I I cannot think of a show. You look at the John Stewart tree and these other trees that, you know, that people have come from this one show and, and and how they've blossomed. But when you go back to that and you look that, okay, let's look at like the 19, like, you know, 55 lineup, you know, I mean, it, it was a 1927 Yankees. It was the two Simon brothers. Neil Simon goes on to be the most successful playwright of the second half of last century. Norman Lear who damn well, like, you know, he did not invent the sitcom. He was
1: the godfather of sitcoms, essentially. But man, that motherfucker,
0: like, sure perfected him. I mean, to the to the point that this day he's still writing, you know, new sitcoms like Netflix and Hulu and stuff. Um, Mel Brooks, en- enough. And then Carl Reiner. And like we said, you know, Woody Allen was on the staff for a couple of years. These other guys who came and went. Emma Jean Coca, you know, was a, was a sidekick and stuff. Well, not the sidekick, but, you know, she, she was, was a player the
1: second, on the show.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was basically 75% of the skits was Emma Jean and him. And then, like, you know, Carl Reiner was in probably 50%, of, but he was also a writer. But I didn't get into that until I was in my, like, late teens and I heard about that. But as a kid growing up in the 70s and 80s and through syndication, I loved the Dick Van Dyke show and – I always want it to be like, honestly, and because of Neil Simon and the odd couple and because of Carl Reiner, my dream jobs is always to be either a sports writer or to be a sitcom writer. I so bad wanted to be Rob Petrie, that or Oscar Madison and you throw in Don Rickles. Those are my three role models growing up. You know, you find out years later, you know, when I'm like early teens, like 12, 13, 14, it's like, wait, wait. Alan Brady is Carl Reiner, and Carl Reiner wrote for Sid Caesar, and basically this is his story.
1: It started, and, and then you'll find out years later that it started off as not the Dick Van Dyke Show, but a show starring Carl Reiner called Head of the Family, where Carl Reiner was Rob Petrie, and it was a different cast. They had uh, the Buddy Sorrell and uh, Sally. Uh, oh, I forget her last name. Rogers. Sally Rogers, right? It wasn't even the Alan Brady Show; it was something else. But Carl Reiner played the Rob Petrie part, and it didn't go. But uh, yeah, then then they they made it the Dick Van Dyke Show. Because, and
0: it's a funny story yeah. because uh, I, I forget the executive producer who picked it up. You know, he's the one who recast it, and Sheldon you know, Leonard. Sheldon Leonard, thank you. And and Carl Reiner was like, "Well, I don't want to fail with the same project twice." He goes, "We won't." We got a better you. We're gonna cast
1: a. Sheldon Leonard, by the way, was the guy who plays Nick in It's a Wonderful Life. Out, you two pixies go through the door, out the window. Wow. Basically, like the Sheldon Leonard impression is like, don't worry, we're gonna cast a better you. (laughs) (laughs) You know,
0: all week long, there wasn't a tribute I saw or I heard that didn't talk about, okay, let's go back and take the 10 moments of history, you know, over like the last century. It's. It's Lucy at the Chocolate Factory having a, you know, it is Marsha Brady getting the football in the face, you know. It's Mary Tyler Moore's character, Laura Petrie, outing Alan Brady as being bald on the quiz show and then having to go to the office to apologize to him. Like, if you boil that show down to that one five-minute scene, if you don't know anything about the show and you just see that, you're like, okay, this has to be one of the greatest shows in the history of television. And he is so fucking good. So fucking, fucking good. And and that scene in that series. And kudos to him to say, yeah, I'll be fourth banana on my own show and then you know it turns out that like the first three seasons he was the only writer on the show he wrote every episode of that show and it wasn't until the fourth season that they got a couple writers and then the fifth and final season he ended up leaving the show to go to a movie called the russians are coming and it's a mad 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 world but he came back and did appearances but but yeah that show is what introduced me to Alan Brady, you know, and then you find out. And then, like I said, then I find out like late junior high, early high school, I started to become a real nerd. And it's like, wait a minute. Those guys were uh, I love Woody Allen. I love, you know, I love Mel Brooks. I love Steve Martin. I love, you know, and Steve Martin's career. He owes a huge part. I mean, his stand up was his stand up when he he transitioned to movies. What him and Carl Reiner did together. What did he do? Four movies together. I think they did four movies together. Yeah. Co-wrote. Yeah. Three, Co-wrote three of them together.
1: Yeah, the four movies are The Jerk, Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid, uh, The Man with Two Brains, and All of Me.
0: And the stories, the stories about Steve Martin and every day Carl Reiner picked him up to drive to the office together. Yep. Basically, it seemed like they wrote The Jerk in the car on the way to the office and then would spend the rest of the day laughing about what they came up with in the car.
1: Well, Carl Gartlieb had a little bit to do with that too. So anyways, there is like a hole in my... Carl Reiner experience from between Dick Van Dyke show and the Jerk. There's the 19 like the late 1960s, early 1970s of Carl Reiner that I really don't know much about. I know he went into directing, obviously, but those movies I have not seen. Like there's a movie that that's revered that probably you might have seen. Where's Papa? Do you know yeah. about this movie? I've not seen it, but it's like a you know kind of like a big turning point in Carl Reiner's. Directing career? Do you know anything about where's Papa?
0: Yeah, I mean it's 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 not my favorite, you know thing. Okay. Everything he's done is great, but it is it's one of those things that, I mean. It wasn't a turn-in movie classic thing, yeah, honestly. Oh, really? For, uh, it, it, no, no. Um, I I might have seen it on the movie law for Christ's sakes. Like, it might have been a Dana Hersey thing. So I knew that that's where he started to transition from performer in front of the camera to being taken really serious as – I mean, he was always taken serious as a writer. But it, it's it's starting to change the last few years. But it was a big thing. Like, TV people – to transition to do movies, whether it was an actor or whether it was a writer, you know, like Sid Caesar never really made the transition from, TV to movies. Like he did some movies. He he had appearances in movies because people loved him. But he's one of those people like Mel Brooks was able to do it. Carl Reiner was able to do it. But Carl Reiner was able to do it more on the producer director side of it than the acting side of it. And Papa was, you know, one of the big things. And again, you know, the Russians are coming and, you know, a couple others. He did still in that time. That's also in the time frame where him and Mel Brooks were putting out the comedy out albums and he was also a touring comedian putting out the albums he did a bunch of episodic tv he was called in to help save shows and fix shows and rewrite shows and at the same time you would periodically see mel brooks and and carl reiner on the steve allen show doing bits okay you know it's the man on the street reporter Carl Reiner interviewing tax wizard. And I forget the name that the gay Mel Brooks is a tax cheat, you know But yeah. I mean? It was, and again, I, I don't know how much of it was scripted and how much of it was just, okay, we're going out there with this premise and I'm going to stay in this character and you just go. And it's one of those, you know, ballets. It is just a beautiful thing where, okay. Yeah. Mel Brooks is coming up with a zany, crazy tax guy. This is how he's scamming things. But the thing is, like the follow up question is everything, either to keep it going, to double down on the absurdity or something like that. But if you don't have like that guy who's just as quick, who cannot break in that character. And that's why, you know, I think the relationship and the fact that up until the last Day of Carl Reiner's life for him to have somebody that he you know had such a a relationship with is it was a wonderful thing.
1: Yeah, they uh, they certainly and they met in the military, right? We're talking about Mel Brooks, right? Yeah,
0: I don't know if they met. In the military, they, you know, and that's the other thing. All those guys did military service, right? All of those guys did military service. Mel was the only one who saw real combat, I think. You know, the other ones were writers and performers, like they didn't, you know, not like the crap that I do. Hey, I'm going to go over tape but they were inside, like working, you know, on the inside, like you know, putting on shows. And but, um, no, I don't, I don't think they met until
1: your show of shows,
0: until your show of shows, because okay. I think I, I think that's where they met and there was like a little bit of an age gap um but yeah so so you know all the people that we love that Carl Reiner was a huge part of like there's not a Mel Brooks without Carl Reiner Sid Caesar isn't I don't think Sid Caesar without I mean that's why they work so long and so well together even up until what was it the early 90s the mid 90s the late 90s when the Ocean 11 movies come out 2000s yeah and then here he is again like a a quintessential character in three movies with everybody who's huge at the time. Like, everybody's huge at the time. And at the top of the food chain, here's Carl Reiner.
1: So um, I guess now we should probably get into the movies. The, basically, the Steve Martin movies that we all are familiar with. Uh, starting with our favorite. Our namesake is basically based off of a line in the movie, The Jerk.
0: Steve Martin has one shot. Steve Martin has one shot to go from being comedian, filling stadiums to being a movie actor, to being a real movie actor. How many of those people have made that famous transition and how many haven't, you know, and I think you can pretty much count them on like one hand, you know, and, and in that area, you had like Richard Pryor, you had Steve Martin. If the jerk doesn't do gangbusters the way it does, I, I probably, and at the same time, you know, Carl Reiner and Steve Martin. I said this in so many interviews. Held his hand through the whole process. Steve Martin had not done a movie. This was Steve Martin's first thing. Uh, you know, he wasn't a big TV guy other than Saturday Night Live. So this was him having to learn to act on the fly. And and this isn't a knock on Steve Martin. It's like. You know, Steve Martin was a nineteen seventies Sid Caesar. Steve Martin was a nineteen seventies, you know, version of like, you know, Mel Brooks of the fifties and sixties. So he was able to really take Steve Martin's persona and like wrangle it in when it needed to be and and let it explode where it needed to be and The Jerk, as far as I'm concerned, it's a perfect movie. And and it's it all starts with Carl Reiner and picking up Steve Martin and driving him to work every day and teaching him. Like, you know, and you've heard the interviews with Steve Martin and Carl Reiner talk about and other people. It's like, that's where Steve Martin became Steve Martin that, you know, we all know now. And then, you know, but taking one step back, he also, and it must have been huge for him because when you think about... Okay, Carl Reiner comes out of World War II. You know, he gets into show business. You know, he starts his writing career in like 48, 49. But by 48, 49, George Burns has been a household name for 20 years. And the fact that he got to direct George Burns in, oh, God, yes, m- must have been, you know, for him, you know, for Steve Martin to get to work with Carl Reiner must have been what Carl Reiner went through to get to work, you know, because, you know, they're the second wave. The Sid Caesar Carl Reiners are the second great wave of TV movie comics, you know, going from the silent films, you know, into the talkies. And that first wave was, you know, Bob Hope. And George Burns. I mean, but yeah, it, it, it must have been just the biggest thrill in the world. And that movie does absolutely huge and goes on to create a franchise of movies. You know,
1: mm-hmm. back to the jerk. Uh, back not, to the jerk. Not you, of course. Uh,
0: the the <laughs> perfect, the perfect movie. And I'm trying to think what was what was it that killed them that that they drove in and steve martin pitched him in the car that they spent the entire day it was the most unproductive day because they couldn't stop laughing and it was almost like a throwaway bit no was it damn these glasses
1: it might have been i damn these. right yes (laughs) he hates these cans carl reiner's so good he's good in the movie as himself As the one, you know, his cameo at the end when uh, they're filing a class action lawsuit against Navin Johnson, the inventor of the OptiGrab, for poor quality testing because the OptiGrab exploded onto the market without, you know, any sort of... Uh, field testing or verification as to how safe it was. Wait, wait, wait. They didn't even have the decency to test it out on prisoners. (laughs) Right. (laughs) As a director, I rely on my eyes. And what happens is if you wear these things for too long, you become cockeyed. Here's a clip of me directing a stuntman, and you see the car going off the cliff, and as it blasts through the barrier and careens off the edge of the cliff, you hear in the background, cut, (laughs) <laughs> i still if i'm watching something on television and the take is going too long or they're hanging on a shot for two what i think is too long i'll verbally yell out cut because
0: you, you do that to me I, if, if we go back in the what, what have we done 12 14 of these podcasts you <laughs> so many times when i start rambling you'll after i'm done talking you'll go cut or when, when when I'm rehearsing the crappy stand-up you'll be like cut <laughs> I,
1: I didn't get to
0: the point. I think that is your most yeah, it's probably your most quoted thing from that movie is that one and every time you say it it just kills me because it's 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 that scene uh, and again such su- such great physical comedy I don't know if he naturally could make his eyes do that but he's on screen for like Thirty seconds, and it is—it's everything. Yeah, you know? yeah right. Everything. It, it
1: ties the whole movie together. Speaking of facial things that he does at the end of—if you're not in the obit, eat breakfast—they show a clip of him on <clears throat> the Jimmy Fallon show, and he's t- doing a bit about how there were some people who couldn't transition from you know radio to to, to movies like actors because they had these ticks that they normally would—you wouldn't normally notice on radio. But, you know, they had wonderful voices. But, you know, he put a camera in front of them. And then he, like, starts to sing a song from, like, the 20s or 30s. And as he's, like, holding a long note, he contorts his face. Like, he basically dislocates his jaw and moves it to one side. And the face that he makes kills every single time. It's just this weird, cockeyed, slanted, Jim Carrey-esque face. Did you stumble on
0: the clip? Did I send you a clip? He's on Letterman. And he, you know, he's done so many interviews, and, and it's such an old format. Let's do something different. And so he decides to like he he does the interview. Well, first he's like, well, I'll sit here and I'll sit here because you've never interviewed somebody sitting here, and I'll sit at the desk. And then he has Dave stand on the desk and he lays on the floor. He comes up with four different <laughs> angles, and, and and would and it's like. You know, in which you're like, okay, well, I'll just lay on the desk here and you can look right over me. <laughs> and, and and this is early, Dave. This is this is the huge cigar coming in and out of every break, you know, eighty-two, eighty-three <laughs> days. Right. And and it's this Carl Reiner just taking over. And 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 Dave Linneman's like I'm game. You know, whatever the fuck Carl Brandon wants to do. Like, you want me to stand on the desk and look down at you? You want me to lay on the... Like, and it was just, you know, and, and how much of that was planned or whatever, but honestly, and then, you know, from the obits, when you, when you see how intertwined and how much work they've done together and how much they really love each other. Like, you know, not just Mel Brooks, but, but Dick Van Dyke, like Mm -hmm. Dick Van Dyke's like, he's my, I have a career because of this guy, you know, 50 years later, you know, he doesn't get Mary Poppins and makes him a movie star and all these other things without the Dick Van Dyke.
1: Wasn't it Carl Reiner who said they wanted to change the name? He, I think, did he propose that they change the name to the Dick Van Dyke show? Because, he saw him on Bye Bye Birdie, and he was such like a dynamo and like such a, like a, a, a vivacious performer. Carl Renner was so impressed that they thought, well, he's so good that nobody knows, you know, the big joke was what's a Dick Van Dyke. You know, the public doesn't know who Dick Van Dyke is. It's like this guy, if you call the Dick Van Dyke show in a week, they'll know who Dick Van Dyke is because he's that good. Like he's, he's going to become a household name. And Buddy Sorrell
0: is one of my all-time favorite characters, and he made Buddy Sorrell is Mel Brooks,
1: right? You right. Know,
0: and Buddy Sorrell is Mel Brooks, but yeah, and and he he obviously Rob Petrie, and Sid Caesar is you know Alan Brady. But let's flash forward to to now. I mean, I didn't know, and now I want to go back and watch the episode because I guess Carl Reiner wrote an episode of the Cleveland Show,
1: and you know that that's amazing. I, I I I did not know that. You know and the same thing he was
0: supposed to be a guest on or betty white was supposed to be a guest she ended up loving you know doing hot in cleveland and ended up becoming a cast regular and then you know they peered her with him and he does i think i don't know how many episodes he did but it's just it's just beyond wonderful
1: you're right the cleveland show episode that carl reiner was involved with, he has he has a story by credit and it's an episode titled your show of shows so uh yeah that's um that was that his last, watch. last writing credit. Also, let's not gloss over the legacy, not only of Carl Reiner, but the showbiz legacy that he started for the, with the Reiner name. You know, he has, a, he has a son, Rob Reiner, who goes on to basically, you know, become one of the best directors of his generation. So I was watching Rob Reiner, and this is, a, I think, a
0: Jimmy Kimmel interview from maybe like a decade ago. And he was saying, you know, what was it like growing up around... Comedy royalty. He goes, you know, and he was talking about when his father was working on Dick Van Dyke show. He goes, you could tell when he was running out of ideas, he was just walking to the kitchen. It's like, I didn't think it happened to anybody this week. But uh, Rob Reiner tells the story that one day, Norman Lear was over his house and he's like eight or nine, nine or ten years old, and he's playing with Norman Lear's daughter and he's doing a bit. He's he's explaining he's playing Jax. And then he starts to explain to the audience what the game Jax was. And he starts and doing he he was explaining it in a funny voice as a kid and making the girl laugh. And then, you know, Norman Lear came in and Norman Lear goes to the other room
1: and tells Carl's like, Your kid's really funny He goes, My kid? No, he's not <laughs> Right. <laughs> and then yeah right and then the also like the other person that was heavily influenced by Carl Reiner was Albert Brooks because Albert Brooks yeah. would hang out with Rob Reiner and that group and that family like their families would sort of go to camp together or something like that and or they'd go up to like their you know the the Reiner cabin or something in the summer and uh yeah, it's just funny how like how like all this magic sort of touches each other and you know it just it, it's it spreads like a well, like a good well, virus. Yeah
0: you you would you would hear like all these stories that you're hearing from the different angles from the different people like you would have four or five of these couples that would just rent houses together or you know it's it's like one of those things it's like you know they used to perform together like in the cat skills and stuff like that but their families would all just vacation together and you'd be like wait a minute like if if They were all driving together and in a car accident, you lose, (laughs) you lose like 50 years of comedy, but they were, they were all, and, and that's one of the things that I absolutely love is how much these guys really liked being around each other. And, and I, I was, you know, I had that on my notes. I wasn't sure. I hope, and I don't know if like. I think there's an age gap. I mean, I think there might be a big age gap of like 20 years, but like people like Max Brooks is, you know, who's in, who's in the business. Is he friends with Rob Reiner Cause they, you know, their dads got together every single night for like the past 30 years. They walk to each other's houses, eat dinner every night and watch movies. Like everything that one does, if one's on a TV show, the other one's there that, you know, they work on other, you know, you, but yeah, I mean, the lineage between those people that have sprung out because yeah, you're, you're right. Like Meathead. His big his big starting role was on Norman Lear's All in the Family. Mm-hmm. And ever since then, he's gone on to be a prolific director of some of the greatest stuff.
1: Let's not forget his great performance in The Jerk. How far are you going? End of this fence. <laughs> okay. My name is David Johnson. Um, What's yours? Here, here we-, we are. <laughs> <laughs> and cut. <laughs> you think that was a one-day shoot? Yeah. <laughs>
0: oh man yeah it's great that we have so much of of this actually one of the things i stumbled upon is at one point like i think it was like 56 56 like your show or shows some of the people r- left like mel Brooks ended up wanting to go to do movies and he pleaded with since it's like and he told them it's like they tape over your old shows. You know, once this airs, you're forgotten. There was no such things as reruns. There were the late movies, and, and that was one of the arguments. Like if you're on movies, they keep movies. Movies are important. Movies stay around forever. Like they'll air movies late at night. But once your show is aired, you're done. Leave. Go to Hollywood. And and a, a couple of the writers left. But 11 years after, like nineteen, like sixty-eight, like the four main people, you know, Emma Jean, uh, Howard, a blank, is it Howard Morris? Mm. Um, and Emma Jean Coker and Sid Caesar reunited to do, and it was called the Sid Caesar, Emma Jean Coker, Carl Reiner, Howard Murray special. Right. You know, it, was a, it, was a two, it was like a 90 minute special. But yeah, they, they had a 90 um, minute title. It took up the whole screen.
1: Yeah. It literally <laughs> <laughs> took they, up the screen. They invented widescreen wide for just that title. Like that was um,
0: <laughs> You know, but Carl Reiner also, you know, did voices, you know, he was in like the last couple uh Toy Story movies. I he did not replace Don Rickles, but they did. They incorporated other voices and the expanded universe and like the last the was it three? I think he I think he was in three and four. And then they've done these shorts. These forky shorts that that he—I forget what character he does.
1: You want to know the character that he does? Yes. Carl, Carl Yes, so dumb, <laughs> so but so great.
0: But yeah, I mean, it's like you know, the guy's career has honestly—you know—he died at ninety-eight we know him from honestly 70 years of on-screen stuff. Thank goodness for places like YouTube to go back and watch. But yeah, right now on I know on HBO Max, I think The Man with Two Left Brains I think is on and all of me but Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. I think is it's Dead Men.
1: Oh, really? I thought I saw it. somewhere I saw Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. Maybe it was Amazon. I forget but it's out there the jerk you're gonna have to rent because that's just you know you, you got to pay top dollar to, to watch the jerk you you, you can't just slum on to netflix or something like that and get it for free no you you gotta shell out and you know what worth every goddamn penny i tell you a great you know if, if you're lucky enough
0: like joe does to own the 26th anniversary <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah right oh i mean it it you know god god bless. and by the way just a to cap off this excellent sideshow on Carl Reiner, the life and legacy of the man. Probably, what, the nicest person in Hollywood ever? So
0: the guy dies at 98. He's been in the public eye since 48. Do you remember anything? Any scandals or anybody? Have you ever heard the stories Uh Well, he was nice to me.
1: Right, right. He was always nice to me. Not so much to these group of people. No, he was just universally nice. Loved. He was fueled by. By the way, let's talk about his Twitter presence. You know, we he joined Twitter, in his words, to keep up with his grandson, but also because of Trump. You know, I think we have that one. if, If there's any good thing to come out of the Trump election. Is that we have Carl Reiner's thoughts about what Trump can go do to himself, and you know how horrible of a person he is. We get to know more about Carl Reiner um, because of his presence on Twitter.
0: And again, you you look at all those guys from that era who fought fascism in World War II. How many? Honestly, I don't know how many friends. And friends of friends and family members and family members of friends died in that war. And he's been very bold about, yeah, I've seen this before. Up until the day he died, like I said, I mean, he was championing Black Lives Matter and his, you know, his wife, you know, like like the last tweet is like, here's the link to donate to this. You know, he was very clear. This is what's important. This is where if you're going to make a donation in his name and his honor – Give it to Black Lives Matter, and honestly, to to be that involved and that much of a lucid social justice like hero on his deathbed, apparently. I, I mean, kudos. Um, again, you know, I I've fallen down this rabbit hole that I've never really came out of because it's funny because I think. I think I know the book that I gave you on your show or shows, and you know honestly, had had management and I had a daughter. I was lobbying very, very hard for the name to be Emma Gene because of that show. Uh, But yeah, but Carl Reiner, I've enjoyed you know watching all these old clips. I don't know how much of your show or shows I've seen in the past seventy-two hours. The correct answer, not Not enough enough. show, not enough. But but thank you for uh indulging Joe and I in this, you know, I, I'm not sad because, you know, the guy did, you know, lived a very long, absolutely productive life to almost a century. Like Taylor always says, like somebody comes up and offers me that deal. Now, you know, I'll sign the paperwork. I'll sign the paperwork right now to, to not just live that long, uh, but to have close, close friends to be that active in the industry and online. You know, he, uh, he was great. Sorry, uh,
1: yeah, Babbles. No, I hey, hate That's what's what we do here. So I mean, in our I mean, the world's condolences to the Reiner family and everybody that was touched by his loss personally, because you know, yeah, you can say, yeah, you know, he lived a nice old age, but really, especially like he wasn't like suffering or anything. He was vivacious. He was alive. He was a living person that you know eventually just had to go because it was his time, but. You know, it it doesn't make it any less sad when, you know, they finally leave. So he made time work for him or, you know, he made time serve him. He didn't serve time is what you like to say. He was a great man, a great uh, writer. But rest in peace, Carl Reiner. And, um, you know, make him laugh up there in non-heaven because there is no such place. But, you know, his legacy will live on forever. Uh, Or at least until uh, Hulu goes out of business. Because (laughs) then how will you get stuff? We don't make DVDs anymore. Everything's streaming. Oh, no. We're relying too much on these streaming services. But whatever. That's it. Good night. Don't forget. Cut.